Season 1, Episode 11. You are listening to the Show Me Comic Cast. I'm Tim Pickerel, digital media producer for Show Me Comics. And I am Jordan Taylor, the word submitter. I take sentences, put them in a body lock, and I make sure that they put themselves in the right order in paragraphs. Take that in a script or a blog format on showmecomics.com. And I'm Sam Richardson, penciler, inker, colorist, illustrator, artist, and if you don't like what I do, I'll come to your house and give you a pile driver. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> snap and do it, fanboys. Yeah. I just want to sit here and let him do this for the rest of the time. <laughs> I could, oh yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh yeah. But we're not going to. Instead, we're going to talk. Of, we're going to introduce our topic for uh, this week, which is basics. And what we mean by that is, uh, we're still, I guess, amateurs nudging into professional uh, status because we have a finished product and we're getting it out there to people. But what if you're the person who, whether they're a writer or an artist, are just sitting there and saying, I want to make a comic book. So what we're going to do is, in simple terms, tell you what we've done for our latest project from cradle to grave in as simple steps as we can to tell you we started with an idea, we did X, Y, Z, and now we're at this state. So uh, when it comes to that, I guess I'll start out because... We come up with an idea, and then I put words to it. So uh, what we did for our most recent graphic novel, which is called Hafu, is uh, between Sam and I, we came up with a basic idea for a character. And the basic idea was this was a character with uh, Japanese roots, but also American roots. So that was the basic premise for a character. And we wanted to explore, okay, well, how does... How do these two sides of her life play out, and where does that lead her? So what I did, and we're primarily concerned with process uh, and tools in this episode of our podcast, not necessarily just talking about our own work. Right. Um, so I don't want to delve into the premise too much, but what I did was I took that premise, and I sat down, and I did what I like to call background bullets. Is I took uh, the ideas for a couple characters... Uh, mostly fully formed. Okay, this is their role in life, their role in society. How did they get to this point in their life? And by background bullets, what I mean is I take either a Word document uh, on the computer in whatever word processing program you want to use or pencil and paper. And I just draw a little dot and I say, uh, we'll use an example of um, one of the detective characters in our comic. And I say, uh, Background bullet number one, um, because I already know they're going to become a detective, uh, their first background bullet is maybe how old they are, what their gender is. And then I do another background bullet saying, okay, when did they first start their course to becoming at this station in life? And I'll say, okay, maybe their parents had this background. Like, for instance, if you do it with Batman, it's like he's a rich vigilante. That's where you end up. So the first background bullet would be, how is he rich? His parents own Wayne Enterprises. So his, uh, you know, whether you want to call him a venture capitalist or whatever, that's his dad's a venture capitalist. His mom is a, how would you describe his mom? I don't, I don't know what his mom did. She's really not that fleshed out. I mean, she's the, you know, the upper crust social level uh, be, 
because of virtue, you know, of being the better half of uh, Wayne Enterprises. Um, and that fed into, hey, what did, uh, they're a family unit, you know, um, but then they get killed by, and then when you're doing your background bullets, like, how did they get killed? Did they get killed in um, a car crash or a skiing accident? Oh, well, if that's the case, maybe you end up with James Bond. But no, instead, they got killed in a mugging that he witnessed. So now your second background bullet is that. And then your third background bullet, you're thinking, well, who are the surviving people that are going to take care of him? He's a kid. He can't take care of himself. So who takes care of him? That was a question for you guys. Oh, that would be the butler, Alfred. Okay. Oh, now I've got another character. I'll flesh him out later. But next bullet point. Okay, so he's being raised by the butler. And uh, we know we want him to become Batman. So how could we incorporate bats into this? Oh, he's got a cave underneath his big house that's full of bats. And some kind of incident happens to where uh, he comes and encounters these bats. And that imprints itself on his psyche. Okay, we'll maybe flesh that out more later. But I know he has to encounter bats. And you just keep going. So that's what I do when I talk about background bullets. Other art or Other writers are different. Um, That's what I do. So after I do that for the characters that I feel like I need for the story, uh, then I will do another bulleted list in outline format. And when I do my outlines is I start all the way on the left-hand side of the page, and I'll write a couple scenes that I think happen, and then when I feel like the ante needs to be upped or the tension raised in the story... Uh, i.e. usually something unfavorable happens to a character, Mm -hmm. I will indent to the right and say, okay, this is rising action. This happens, you know. And I'll just kind of use that in like a step format where I can see the indentations knowing this is where my action needs to keep rising towards the climax. So by those indentations and those one-sentence scene descriptions, I know what my objectives are of each scene. Uh, So if I've just indented from the previous scene, I know this has to create a little bit more tension, a little bit more drama. We're advancing the story towards the climax. Once I have that outline list, then I go into full script format. And what I mean by full script format, uh, there are different ways to approach it. There's uh, the really old kind of almost antiquated Marvel style, which I wrote a blog about on our website. You can read that if you want. Um, There's full script format where people break it down into panels from the writer's point of view and say, all right, this page is going to be a sixth grade layout. In panel number one on the sixth grade layout, I want X to happen, panel two, Y happens, panel three, so on and so forth. And you can go ahead and put the dialogue in as you go, whereas in old Marvel style, you would put the dialogue in after. Um, I don't necessarily do... Uh, either of those what i prefer is a television or film script type format where you have uh, a block of setting description or a block of action description and in between those is it's mostly dialogue you just have the character's name and then they said this it's really easy and uh to find on google if you want to find example screenplays Um, what i did was i went out and i bought some books that were collected screenplays of different writers. One of them was William Goldman, another one Quentin Tarantino. You can read their movie-style scripts and use that as kind of like a template if you want to write a movie-style script. Um, So based on my 
bulleted, indented list, my outline of plot, I will then say, okay, I know that these two characters need to come out of this scene having had an argument. That's all I know. Then I get to have fun and do the more, you know, uh, loose creative process when I'm writing the dialogue of let me rise tension in the scene. Okay, they start talking about one subject, but then someone mentions this and someone mentions that. And before you know it, they start to kind of go back and forth in an argument because that was my goal of the scene. Or maybe this person's going to end in an emotional breakdown. So I need to start the scene uh, a certain way and then they start to get more upset and more upset. And by the end of the scene, emotional breakdown. So uh, I know where I'm going, but I don't know exactly what's going to be said to get there or what actions are going to be taken. And I just have fun when I'm writing the movie style script when I'm done with that. And this is very important when it comes to making a jump from uh, you're just writing a piece for your high school writing class to, hey, I'm actually trying to make a good product, is I will set it aside, whether it's for a day or a week or whatever, and then I'll go back through with a critical eye and edit. I think that's lost on a lot of beginning writers is it's really hard to distance yourself from thinking, my initial creative thoughts were really, really, really good, which a lot of times probably the seed is, but the fruit that you're bearing might not be exactly the best fruit you could bear. So you come through with your editorial hat on and try to make it even better. I highly recommend that for beginning writers because that's a step that's missed all the time. So after I edit it and I feel like I've gotten at least one or two passes through, that's when I'll give it to the artist and in this case, he or she is going to act as almost a secondary editor because if the story makes sense to them and they didn't get bored and they felt like the climax had a good resolution, all those touchstones you want to have in your script, then you've kind of done your job to at least an audience of one already and your most captive audience and most important audience because they're going to be illustrating the story and telling it along with you. So I pass it on. And then that's when we need to move to Sam, and he's going to tell you what he does from there. Yeah, from there, once we have a finalized script, um, I take it, and from there I've got to do panel breakdowns. Uh, as Jordan said, what's a little different about ours compared to standard comics is it's not written in, you know, this is this page, this is this panel exactly layout. Our comics are very uh, cinematic, so what he gives me is very much like a screenplay. So from there, I look at it as if this was a movie, I would be creating storyboards. So that's the process that I first go into is after I've read the entire story, I see where it's going. I get the idea of the characters. I make sure that, you know, my designs match what he wants out of the characters because we do. Uh, each character I went through and I did, you know, multiple, multiple sketches of what they're going to look like, different hairstyles. I would show that to him until he liked it. Uh, and some of those, you know, the characters were done later on in the storyboarding process. The initial storyboarding, the thumbnails are very small. I actually do four pages on one eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. Most of these are done as like rough stick figures. That's why some of the characters, even if we haven't fully developed where we want to go with them yet, it's okay if that's not done because in the thumbnails, all it is is very, very rough. Just here's the panel. Here's the shot. This is what it's going to look like. You're basically Very just drawings. telling the actors where they would be standing it, on stage without having to have cast the actors. Exactly, yet. exactly. So if it doesn't, you know, if we don't know what they're even going to look like yet, that's okay because I just, I just need to get the full story, you know, thumbnailed out first. Another note based on my process was 
because you've done that story outline, I could almost hand you that story outline before I've done the full script, and you at least know what characters you have to design. All right, definitely. Uh, but so where I go, the first part in the artistic process of putting the book together um, would be all the thumbnails. So I will thumbnail out the entire book. I will go through the script. Like I said, it reads like a screenplay. So I go through and decide, okay, this is where this panel is going to contain this dialogue. This would be a great shot for a page break. This would be great for this many. And you got to realize in comic books, because this is where we're de- very different from movies and television and animation is that the amount of space between each panel it's the same border space, but how much time can actually pass in between one panel compared to another can make a world of difference on how the person reads that. So in my thumbnails, I try to get as much of that down as I can. Once I've completed every single page laid out in thumbnail format, I go back and I actually take pictures of each individual page. Yes, I will take my iPhone, zoom in, take that one thumbnail page that might be two inches by three inches on the paper. Right. I will take a picture of that, upload it on the computer, put it on Photoshop, and I'll actually blow it up to 8.5 by 11. And there I will set the opacity very, very low to where I can barely see it, and I will then print that thumbnail out onto an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper. Almost like using a light board, right? Exactly. It's kind of like this is the modern way of doing things. You know, in comic books, they used to take the thumbnails, put them on a Xerox, blow them up to 11 by 17, set that on a light board, put the Bristol board over it and pencil it, well, now we've got ways to save time. So I'll actually blow it up to an 8.5 by 11. Uh, I don't work at 11 by 17. That's something that a lot of guys still do. When you see a lot of the independent artists, they still want to do things the old way, and they draw it at 11 by 17. I do it at 8.5 by 11, and the reason why is at that small a page, my eye can still see the entire page. Right. How many books have you looked at where it's like they draw really cool panels, but the whole page itself, you get lost because they didn't realize people are looking at the entire page first. And if things don't flow from panel to panel, the reader can easily get lost. Or they drew a really cool torso and then forgot the feet. Right. <laughs> but at eight and a half by 11, that's also big enough that I can get more detailed because I'm working off of the thumbnails because the thumbnails were printed very lightly on that page. I can start to render them now, but it doesn't have to be anything great. Um, I know in the beginning stages of the book, I would take those from that roughed out page. I would email them to you guys to look for edits to say, hey, what do you think critique wise from here before I go into the final step? Now, unfortunately, because we all have incredibly busy lives right now and it's not our full time job to work on comic books. The editorial process at that part was getting a little bit hard to keep up with my deadline. So I got to where it was just like I would go right into the final art from those from those rough sketches. But uh so back to the process. Once I draw out the eight and a half by eleven on pencil and kind of get a, a tighter rendering, it still looks pretty loose. If you actually looked at my my rough sketches on the eight and a half by eleven, it's still like you get an idea of what's going on, but nothing is too clean yet. Uh, from there, I take another photograph of the eight and a half by eleven, put it into Photoshop, and from there I zoom into eleven or I blow it up to eleven by seventeen and do my final inks and rendering digitally using the old Wacom tablet. But at least I'm drawing it actual, you know, comic book art size at the eight, at the eleven by seventeen. With that, I can zoom in, get the details I need, lay out all of my inks, and because of the magic of Photoshop, you can actually erase the ink. So that's where I tighten my drawings up a lot. I keep my pencils very loose at the pencil stage because I can erase my inks once I'm doing it digitally. So that's where I do most of like my tighter stuff, get the inks in. Once the inks are done, I go right into the uh, to the coloring and 
Sometimes that can take me an hour and sometimes that can take me three days, depending on what my day's like. Uh, I like to think that I'm, you know, much more of a uh, line art illustrator guy and not so great at the coloring part. But unfortunately, right now, I don't have anybody coloring my work. So if you're listening to this on the podcast and you're a budding colorist and you'd like a job, contact us immediately. Oh, show. Once uh, once that's finished up, I'll go in and uh, go into the lettering and I'll just place that on top of what the finished art is. And from there, I'll send it to you guys that way you have a copy to look back on. And, uh, once... and that's a very important part, though. I don't want to gloss over that too much. The fact that as you're done with pages, you send them to us. Oh, totally. Because as I get so many done, you guys are not getting a chance to look back and say, well, hey, this looks stupid or this, you know, the way that the word balloon was or maybe there was a misspelling. Uh, or uh, here's an important example, and this is something that we recently ran into within the last week or so. Uh, there was a, a scene where... Uh, one of our characters pulls out a sword. And specifically in a conversation before, it was a certain style of sword. Now that, you know, Sam had just forgotten about that. And when he drew it, he drew a totally different style. And because he sent the page as he finished it, and I was able to catch that, I said, you know, I hate to do this to you, but thankfully it's Photoshop, you know, um, but we need to change that sword more importantly is going forward and all the sword or the all the swords uh, all the swords where that sword is used all the scenes where that sword is used had they been drawn incorrectly moving forward oh, that yeah. would have been a lot more work right. or the amateur mistake of saying all right we'll just live with it right and uh that would have created you know an error right. in the book so yeah that process if you can swing it between artist, writer, editor, whoever the creative team is, uh, as things are finished, send it out. Right. And, and that goes with writing, too. You know, if you can get people to read your script as you're writing it, sometimes that can be a good thing. Right. Yeah. Oh, it, it definitely emphasizes the importance of the editorial process because it wasn't, it's not that I forgot it was a different sword. I didn't even know that it was a different kind of sword. Like, it's one of those, I just thought, oh, okay. Yeah. The way she referred to it, she's just giving it more of a specific name. And thankfully, I sent that to you soon enough that you were able to say, no, that's actually a di- – it's not a normal katana blade. It's going to look different. Uh, now, since we're talking about you know indie books and the people that are thinking about coming in and things that they should do, one thing that I think we, we have to do on our next project is editing this before it gets to the final art, like going back to the thumbnail page. Absolutely. Yeah. That way I haven't committed to it too much, and it's not too much of a time crunch to fix things, but actually having that time to go, okay, you know what, here's the thumbnails before I even start the final rendering, check those out first. Let's get the input. And I think we used the crutch or the excuse, I guess, of, uh, when we were in the thumbnail stage, I know I lived in Seattle and you lived uh, here in St. Louis. So it was kind of like, Oh, just do that. And you sent me some of the thumbnail sketches, but I didn't yeah. really pay attention to them. Right. Uh, cause that's hard sometimes to look at a file on the computer screen, you know? Um, and I get, sometimes now that I'm here to say, oh, I can just swing by your house, you know, and look at what you're working on. But yeah, it, I think more and more comics are done from people who live apart from each other. So uh, just remember whatever tools you have to use, whether it's uh, email, Dropbox, Google Documents, um, to be able to review each other's work is 
a huge tool that wasn't right. there 10 years ago. Yeah, you know, that's or, definitely my advice to you listening that are the budding indie artists who all, you'll all have the same excuse. Well, I work this job or I've got this going on or that. I don't know. <laughs> Make time for the editing process. Believe me, it's going to save you some headaches later on. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. <laughs> right. But uh, once I finish up all the digital art, I put the coloring on, I lay down the lettering, and then once I have the entire thing done, from there it's looking at, are we printing this? Is this going to be a digital app? And what are the specs needed you know, to make this happen? You know, like For our initial uh, print, we went through a company that I don't know if we should even name. No, the company that shall not be named. And... Uh, you know, I had to go to their websites to get all their specifications to this is the size, this is what the panel borders need to be, this is what you need for a full bleed, and went through and resized everything. And uh, we did make sure we went through one through final edit, though, that looked at spelling mistakes, little things that we could change without, you know, going on and on and on and on and taking forever. All right, uh, and the more uh, eyes you can get in that process, because... It's like when you're reading a sentence and trying to correct uh, grammar mistakes or something, well, you've written that sentence, plus you've probably read it a couple times, and so you almost just infer the meaning, and you're not actually reading the words when you look at that sentence, because your brain right. already knows what to expect, right. so if it sees a mistake, your brain subconsciously corrects that mistake, and you don't notice it, um, because you're so familiar with it. So if you can hand it off to a party that's not involved at all, that's a huge plus when it comes to editing for those kind of mistakes like spelling and uh, grammar and things right. like that. Right, and to turn the editing around a little bit, another reason to you know, present this to somebody else to look at is I know a, a little trap I fell into is when we were doing that final edit, I started going back and looking at the art. Because there's obvious places where I said, oh, you know what, there's a, there's, there's a scene in the book where she's got a bruise on her eye. And there's a couple of panels or pages where like I'm going through and I forgot to color the bruise. So you'd see it one page. The next page, all of a sudden the bruise is magically gone. So I better fill those in. But as I was doing that, I started going, oh, well, I hate the way that you know this person's eyebrow looked. So I start fixing the eyebrow. And the next thing I know, I'm basically trying to redraw the book. And I'm going, okay, I don't have time for this. Right. Sometimes you got to just let sleeping dogs lie. Exactly. It if does. it's not major. Yeah. Art is never finished. I guess that's the saying to it that they learn in school. But yeah. Someone should you don't have told want to that overkill. to George Lucas. <laughs> but, uh, to just let sleeping dogs right. lie. But I think once you get to the editing process, especially the final one is – you know, look for those glaring things. But if it's something that you think just is not that crucial to the story or it's so small, just leave it or else you're going to spend forever trying to fix it. So once we've got the uh, quote-unquote finished product, the next stage is getting it to an audience. And really, Tim, that's where you come in. So go ahead and uh, take us from the ground level up what you do once we say, hey, Tim, guess what? We have a comic. Okay, so once we have a product, we actually need to advertise it and get some kind of presence on it. So uh, basically the first thing that we need is a website. Um, so if you have somebody that knows websites or if you can do websites, all the better. Um, I'll try to talk you through some things that will help the person that's not that tech savvy get at least something going. Well, let's break it down into high level steps, i.e. you need a domain. You need a domain. <laughs> uh, so obviously one of the most popular is GoDaddy. Um, the other thing is if you have, you're going to need your website to be put somewhere. So most times if you buy web hosting, 
you'll get a domain name with it. We bought WebSpace through HostGator, and you bought the domain through GoDaddy. Yeah, it was GoDaddy. So I was just able to set up the... uh, I was able to direct the domain through GoDaddy's website to our hosting. It's fairly effortless. Could you define those a little bit better for people that necessarily are don't know much like I don't, just what's the difference between a domain and a host a uh, host is actual hard drive space on a server somewhere where your files would be stored and the domain name is your showmecomics.com your google.com which is basically just the address that you type into the url field in your browser and it does some magic on the internet end and directs you to the server where your stuff is stored yeah, so a good analogy, you use the term address. So when you get your domain name, that's like having a street address. All right, so if you are in a new development subdivision, you can have a street address, and you go to pull up to that street address, and there's no house. There's just a lot, right. an empty lot. So you, you're still pointed in the right place, but there's no your house space. Isn't there, yeah. yeah, there's no space for stuff. The hosting is like that warehouse or that house that can actually store things. Um, so hopefully that analogy helps out a little bit. Yeah, that works. Um, so from there, we have the address. We have our lot. Now we just need a foundation. So what we used for our website is WordPress, which is a content management slash blogging platform. And it was really easy to install. A lot of hosting platforms have in your control pa- control panel one-click installs. You just fill out a little form. It installs everything on your site. And from there, it's a lot of customization. Not a lot of customization. There's uh, themes that already come with it. You can find some free themes online or if you know a designer or you can do some design, uh, know some programming. You can create your own theme. Uh, But for the most part, if you're just looking to get a presence online to give people updates... There's some built-in themes in WordPress already. Um, I used one that was custom-made. I spent a few bucks on it. And I mainly did that instead of buying, instead of building my own for time reasons and because I wanted something that was already friendly for mobile and tablet devices, something that would resize according to uh, any kind of mobile device you were on. So from there, we have... The foundation, we actually have, at this point, we actually have the house. And the house is mostly decorated. We don't have any... Can we call it a crib? Crib? Because uh, it's hipper. Okay. Can we do a crib with a K because we don't know how to spell? No, because I just used the word hip, so I'm obviously not. (laughs) (laughs) Just thinking that. I don't think they call it crib anymore anyway. I'm going to call it a crib. We have... Our address, we have our house, we need stuff in it, so that's where we need to start developing content. Jordan writes a lot of the blog posts, um, I help produce the podcasts, and as far as podcasts go, we have a fairly, a let, it's more than your amateur setup, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily a big pro studio, but we have some decent mics, decent recording equipment. As far as podcasts go, if you want to get on, promote your stuff, and just hear your own voice on the internet, you can do it with a cheap USB mic. They usually sound pretty good because you don't have any kind of analog interference. It just plugs directly into your computer. You have a clear digital signal. Uh, There's plenty of free programs to record in. There's Audacity is one. 
Um, the one that I'm testing out right now is called Reaper. It's uh, free to try out, and then it only costs 50 or 60 bucks to actually buy. Um, Do you fear the Reaper? We're going to find out when I actually go to edit these down. Well, we'll know by the time you're listening by, to By the time thing. we know. Uh, for our first few, uh, I have a Mac Mini, and it came with GarageBand. So our first six episodes were all done straight in GarageBand. Um, and it worked out fairly well. It didn't have a lot of the bells and whistles I was looking for, and I was hoping that I'm going to get it with this Reaper one. Um, what else do we need for... I mean, that's con- content is king. Content so, is king. So. Having the website is great, but give people a reason to come back to it because, you know, it takes time to develop an, an actual comic book, whether it's digital or you're going to print it and show it off at cons and stuff. So you, I think it's a good idea to have uh, people be able to come back into interim and see what you're up to. And this can be as simple as, I'm an artist. I'm working on a comic book, so I'm going to blog about working on the comic book, and I'm going to throw some sketches up every couple of days so right. that you can see my process. The one thing that's important, if you're going, to, if you're going to do that, like if you're going to take it seriously and give a lot of updates and stuff like that, schedule it. Make it regular so people know Absolutely. when to come by and they can expect to see something when they come in. We do our podcast. We record. Spoiler alert: We actually record a few episodes at a time. So we have something that we can make sure that we can release every week so we don't have to go, you know what, I I had to work a lot or I've got my kid or I don't feel good, I don't feel like recording today, so we're not going to do a podcast this week. That's not really acceptable. So what we do is we figure out a time to get together, we sit down, we bang out a few episodes, so we make sure we have that regular content that we can deliver to our audience. Same thing with Jordan's blog posts. Yeah, it's building up a buffer. Um, after that, we have some content on the site. We have some podcasts. Social networking is key after that. Um, right now, our main one is our Hafu graphic novel on Facebook. Um, sometimes Jordan does posts where he just uh, sends out some funny things like, we're working on this Ninja comic. Do you guys remember Ninja Rap from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2? Um other times we send out the – we have the website send out the updates to Facebook to say, hey, there's a new blog post. There's a new podcast. Um, we've recently taken to adding images related to our podcast, photos from our recording sessions, put them on Facebook. They also go on Twitter. It's also a way for our audience to interact. So right. like we put out the call that we're doing a podcast. Audience members can comment questions or just topics they want us to talk about. Um, and it's a really good way for us to, to reach our audience. And that's what we're all about at Show Me Comics mm-hmm. is being able to have that open dialogue that so awesomely is provided by the Internet. In fact, on that note, I think we could segue to some Twitter questions. We could. Uh, this comes from Nasty Nays on Twitter. Uh, his question is, Show Me Comics, what comes first for you guys, the story or the art? Does the artist draw characters that you build a story from or no? That's a great question, and uh, the answer is both. I can remember the uh, genesis of our current project was actually a character that you, Sam, drew back in high school. Yeah, I did it back in like 10th grade, but uh, 
I think more so it comes from story first. You know, Jordan or whoever will have the idea, and from there they develop it. They come up with the background. I think that all development and story ideas should be done before any art is laid down. Uh, but on the other hand, like the a cool picture can be a great seed for an idea. Oh, sure, sure. Like, uh, you know, like I, I stated earlier in the art process is uh, – you know, some of the designs will be done after I've read the script. Some might be, if you just mention an idea, like you might say, oh, I got this idea for this cop. You might not even be done writing this, this script yet, but from there I can already start kind of sketching. You know, you say, oh, it's this, you know, they're overweight or they're, you know, a slim female or they're this or they're that. And from there I can already start sketching. And maybe if that's something you like, it might change the direction you are heading with the story or it might give you a different idea to go from, but... I don't think if that, you know, concrete story seed is planted first that any art is going to do anything. Right. And, I mean, we don't have uh, too many projects to speak of, but I can think of a famous example where uh, the art did come first. Uh, It might not necessarily in our case, but there was one, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, The creators, Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, I I forget which one, but they drew, like, this kind of, like, you know, anthropomorphic turtle it was even more cartoony back then but in there and uh you know i'm gonna botch the story completely but it was pretty much along the lines of they wrote like hey this is a ninja turtle and then they're like this is a teenage mutant ninja turtle and then they just couldn't get that idea for that character out of their heads and they developed everything else and the rest is history but so you know it can happen that way but to answer Nasty Nays, um, primarily it's idea-driven first and then art after. So hope that answers this question. Cool. If it doesn't, too bad. <laughs> this question comes to us from Snorecore53. What was your inspiration for a mixed ethnic character? And I guess since I wrote it, that question's for me. Uh, well, to... This is the second incarnation of this story, really. The first time we were fumbling and bumbling around when we were basically, you know, teenagers. Um, But back then, uh, the idea was a word that Sam came up with called Ninjetti. That was this character. Later, we were to find out that a term was used by the Power Rangers, and we would have had our pantsuit off if we had used that. But um, I remember originally thinking, Ninjetti, that sounds like an Italian ninja. Um, so that gave rise to the character with a mixed ethnic background of an Italian or an Italian American and a Japanese, uh, character and built a lot of story elements off that. But that first iteration was pretty crappy. However, we learned a lot from, you know, doing that and making our failures. The second time around, I had some pretty personal reasons to, uh, think about the multi-ethnic view of our character because in the interim I got married to a woman from Liberia myself being from America and so our kids are half Liberian and uh, half American and I started to think of you know what are they going to have to go through growing up are they going to have to you know identify with one or the other can they be both you know what struggle is this going to have and I remember uh, working with a, a friend of mine who she was uh, half African-American and half uh, Filipino, and she had run into a lot of problems 
um, from both sides of just growing up in America because she didn't really know where she fit in. And, you know, the idea to focus on it kind of came a lot from my kids, uh, but the ideas from the actual experiences came from that friend of mine uh, that I worked with and uh, her just being called like an Oreo cookie, you know, she was uh, white on the inside and black on the outside, which the really messed up part of that, she was half Filipino. So it's like, <laughs> Uh, you can't even be creative enough to come up with a new uh, way to, you know, make fun of her or make her feel ostracized. Like you just determine everyone who's not like you is white or vice versa. You know, everyone who's not white is uh, a minority, people say. And it's like, why do we have these divisional lines and uh, where can you explore a, a character through that? And, um, it wasn't meant to be preachy or anything. It was just, this is an aspect of this character. She's going to have to deal with it. And it become a, became a part of her character arc to show, hey, society kind of had the grip on her when she was younger. Will she break free from that grip or will she get crushed by it? So, Snorkor, hope that answers your question. All right. I got one here that I think I'm going to handle. It's from... At bitter twitter sixty nine uh, they just asked uh how long did it take to finish the project okay uh shame shame you know your name <laughs> um I think uh, as far as the writing goes uh Jordan, how long did it take you from you know this initial development to having the finished screenplay? I would say a few months, but that's uh you know, time is relative to how much time per day you're spending on it. So, I mean, uh, dis disclosure, I had a full-time job, had a family, um, but a lot of times after I'd get the kids to bed, that's all I would do all night, and I would tell my wife, tough stuff. No, just kidding. I was nicer about it than that. But, uh, yeah, so I would say an average of uh, maybe 15 hours a week writing for a few months, and that throws in you know rewriting and stuff like that right and then you know once you began the development of the script and you started tossing around character ideas and where you thought you were going with it i immediately got the sketchbook out and started those you know pre-sketches of the characters that i had talked about so during those first few months while you were writing the story i was taking the character ideas you were throwing at me and coming up with some of those so we could finalize it uh it probably took me around a week to a week and a half to finish all of the the thumbnails of the story itself and then uh once i started on actual just final art with the inking and the coloring and all that fun stuff uh again um i have a full-time job i run a business and uh i am a daddy so just like the writer it was an obstacle to go, okay, where can I find pieces during the day to work on this? You know, I had some days where I could devote, you know, 30 minutes total. And then I had some days where I would just clear out my schedule and sit down for eight hours and hammer out a page. But on average, if you totaled the time up, it probably takes me around an hour and a half uh, to do the rough sketches off of the thumbnails. Uh, it probably takes me anywhere between three to five hours to actually render out the digital inks and then another hour and a half to to three hours sometimes with the coloring process i mean once you add all that up for one page you're looking at maybe an eight to twelve hour day and that's just 
for one complete page. And that's uh, so the one we're releasing or is already released based on when this podcast goes up is 64 pages right. of uh, full artwork. So right. And then when you're looking you at do a, the math, at a full project that's 150 pages once this entire story is told, it's yeah, it's it's been some time in there. But again, and this is what you're going to find as the independent creator who also works a full time job and has other life responsibilities is that you have to find the time to work on this. And I know people are busy. I am a personal trainer outside of here, and I get this excuse from my clients all the time. I don't have time to work out. I don't have time to eat right. You have to find it. You have to budget it. And sometimes that means cutting other things out of your life to make time to work on it. And that's what we had to do with this book. And like I said, sometimes I literally only had 30 minutes in a day to work on it, or maybe I had... 10 minutes before breakfast and then 10 minutes in between clients. And then some days on the weekends, I devote a whole eight hours to it. But it's like as the independent creator, this is not your full-time job. So you have to find somewhere to clear that space out. You make, to making this. You make some really good points. This podcast is over. Back to the drawing board. That's right. See you guys. Thank you for listening. This is Show Me Comics, and we're wishing you the best in your creative endeavors. And for more information, check out uh, our podcast, blogs, artwork, and what we're up to in the latest with our comics. Visit showmecomics.com, and that's comics with a CS because we know how to spell. And for all you social butterflies, go to facebook.com slash hafu graphic novel, and make sure you like our page. Leave us some comments. Give us some questions. And if you're on Twitter, follow us at Show Me Comics.